millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Have you always known exactly what you wanted to say and what you wanted to be as artists and as a band? No. Definitely not. No. <laughs> no. Um, but I think that's definitely becoming more clear. Um, in the last three years, it's become a lot more clear. But even just the last year, it's pretty crazy how some people are like 17 years old and they're already making exactly what they want to be making. Yeah. Right, those masterful albums at a, at a really young age. Yeah. Uh, I don't think uh, I could have done that. Uh, it's taken a long time. It's not until like, you know, later 20s that I feel like we really found like the kind of music that is most, I guess, true to us. And um, yeah, like when you hear it back and you just think that's actually what that sounds like us. <laughs> that sounds yeah. like us, yeah. But even so, it, I feel like it, it keeps changing. I'd be surprised if it, uh, if it ever stopped changing completely. Uh, I feel like we are about to settle in <laughs> to more like a specific genre or mm-hmm. a sound, but uh, yeah, I don't think that'll ever change. Uh, the wanting to wanting to change. Yeah. How does that factor into making a record then? Because if you're working on your album and what you what you want to sound like is constantly changing, how do you find something that's consistent? How do you know when to kind of put the barriers down and say this is how this album's going to feel and this is going to be the sound of it? Because it does have a very consistent tone to the record. Oh, that's great to hear. Um, I think usually when you're making an album, it is in quite a small period of time. So you very much are like chasing a certain vision for that time, which is perfect because, I mean, albums, I really think they should be completely cohesive, like made to listen through. Um, But I think that what we are, where we're headed is that every album will be a little different. Mm. But it's also, yeah, it, it's definitely also that 
thing that like you know an album is a stamp of that time you're in so i think it's nice that you take whatever time and then you that is the album that you make at that time and you might feel different in uh, a year or a couple of years or even like a few months from then but uh whatever you make at that time just gotta trust that uh, that's the right thing and because uh, it's uh you you've seen it with like tons of like especially the bigger artists that can afford to make an album over several years like no it doesn't necessarily enhance the album to uh to work on it for <laughs> 10 years you you, you rather want to make something that's true to where you are in that moment then then uh, you should probably move on to the next thing. Yeah, and some of those records that maybe people work on for 10 years, when they inevitably come out, they can feel a little bit scattershot, a little bit muddled, and there's not really a clear vision to them. They're kind of going in all these different directions purely as a subset of the fact that they have come from such a long period of time when the artist has, like you say, probably changed quite a lot. Yeah, yeah definitely. Completely. Yeah. The, the most uh, extreme example of that, uh, I guess, uh, I must be something like Chinese Democracy by Guns N' Roses, which took them like 10 years to make and even more so. I, it, it took a, it took about 10 years to make and then when it finally came out, people were like, oh, okay, this is from, you know, the most expensive album in the world and it took them nearly two decades and it sounds like you know, someone born. But um but yeah, no, we definitely did not do that. No. <laughs> we had that was like uh, seven days. <laughs> oh, it took us a couple of weeks, didn't it? I guess, yeah. We're mostly working on post production after that though. Yeah. We basically recorded all of it just like all together, um, in a tiny room. Yeah. In a few goes. It was really um really natural. Yeah. It was uh, yeah, it was what in uh, what environment were you recording in? Um, we were in LA. We were uh, with this producer, Gabe Wax. Um, this really funny guy, and uh, it was the first thing he had done uh, since the pandemic had started. And so he'd spent like yeah, like a few months just kind of um, chilling and moving to uh, like to the rest LA. Of us, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like the rest of us just chilling for a while. And then, um, yeah, we were the first people in this, like, new space that he had made. So it was a real uh, work in progress kind of situation. Yeah. But he was super, uh, super professional and uh, has done tons of albums. So, you know, it, it, you could tell it came very easy to him, which was super nice and comforting for us. Uh, but it was basically, I guess, a, garage. Uh, a glorified garage. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like a... a Plenty of space, uh, and then uh, tons of equipment, and uh, uh, then just uh, a guy with a laptop and uh, a couple monitors. But uh, that's you know what that's you, all need. you need. Yeah. yeah. How did you uh, come upon him? What was the connection? <laughs> what was it? Wasn't the Crumb album? Yeah, it was. Um, he had just done an album by Crumb, and we just loved the sound of it. And then people actually compare us to them now. So <laughs> yeah, um, um, yeah, it totally makes sense. And uh, I had a friend who was like, "Ah, just uh, someone reminded me of you guys." And I was like, "Okay, yeah, well, that's because yeah, you know it was the same guy who recorded it." So I guess he has a song too. Yeah, which is cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, 
it was uh, super nice to work with uh, really really quick and he uh, he left all the the fun and easy part to us and then he did all the yeah, I guess the, the hard part of like mixing and cutting it together and um, yeah. yeah it felt very easy to record definitely yeah now we were mostly just like hanging out in LA and eating like just eating non-stop eating delivery yeah. while sitting and we all looked the... horrible by the end of recording <laughs> that album like a picture of us we're all just yeah, we, gained it. we all gained weight <laughs> yeah, <made it>. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Talking of uh, recording environments, I heard a story once about you recording in an igloo, maybe about five years back or so. <laughs> Whoa, yeah. That, uh... How did you find that? <laughs> <laughs> Deep dive. Oh, man. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Good job. <laughs> um, yeah, that was um, back uh, when we were at college. And um, yeah, these people that we knew had, um, it was like that year that Boston just got so much snow i think they called it snowpocalypse and um these people we knew built an igloo in their backyard and then they just started having sessions in it and um it was not the most ideal situation to play an instrument like your fingers got so cold so the guitar must have gone up too yeah yeah it was um but it was fun yeah I bet the sound could be good because it must be like sort of like a dead sound in there. I don't know. I've never recorded making. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's a fun idea. Like, you know, it's it's definitely something we have uh, started experimenting a little bit more now. Like, recording uh, in igloos. Recording in igloos <laughs> and in different spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, we wrote most of, uh, uh, of uh, What on Earth uh, in in Maddie's barn in San Diego, uh, which definitely had, because, uh, you know, every room has uh, its unique sound and uh, uh, and the barn had a really uh, cool sound and it was nice because um, yeah, we had stranded in the, in California in the, uh, right at the, when the pandemic hit. So uh, we, we only had uh, like a few mics enough uh, to, to, or just equipment enough to, able to record all the instruments and uh, yeah and it had a really certain sound to it and uh, there was a tons of frogs yeah so many frogs Mm. um in the um call it fate call it karma single that we released we recorded that in the barn and you can just hear like hundreds of frogs in the background uh, which I really like yeah (laughs) nice uh we even tried to get it off the sound of the frogs as much as possible but uh, it was impossible before we were going to record Gustav would go outside and just try to get all the frogs to be quiet because if you went out and you went shh they would get quiet for about five minutes yeah (laughs) no frogs were heard yeah no progress (laughs) (laughs) when you were saying that you recorded in the igloo in Boston was that were you both at Berkeley yeah. yeah. We touched upon it a little bit before we started recording, but it's interesting to me the way that the band has kind of moved around and that you met at Berkeley and then you were kind of in Brighton and London and then LA for a little bit and now Denmark. What do all these different locations kind of do for you as a band? How have they been important and how have they inspired you creatively? Do they inspire you in different ways? Definitely. Yeah, super much. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think uh, I think it uh, it helps creativity a great amount. That's not initially why we moved. Uh, it was uh, for different reasons that we moved to the different places. But um, like even just when going on vacation, you know, you you get sparked with all these like different impressions, new people, new places. Uh, and the same thing happens, you know, when you move more or less, uh, you get into a new environment and, uh, yeah, that, uh, that just changes you and how you go about your day. And, uh, it, uh, helps you, helps you make new kind of stuff. I think. Yeah, definitely. You're kind of like constantly reinventing yourself and then finding out who you are within the parameters of this new environment. And uh, I think it's really healthy um, and also just creatively, it uh, kind of makes you hone in on what like you truly are as an artist. Mm. Yeah, I feel like it could, uh, if we ever get into like uh, a writing block at some point, uh, <laughs> I feel like you'll just have to, uh, yeah, I guess we'll, we'll try moving yeah. again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> When was the last time you moved? When did you uh, When did you move to Denmark? That was three years ago. Yeah. yeah. How come you decided to come to LA for the for the record then to come back and record that? Um, we just mostly because of Gabe, um, the producer. That's where he was, and um, we'd considered several places, but not really Denmark. We didn't really know many musicians in Denmark. Uh, no, it was. Um, we didn't really have know any producers not that Denmark don't that doesn't have a ton of uh, good producers I think <laughs> um, but um, yeah we just checked out producers we were considering doing it uh, on the east coast uh, maybe going back to London and, but um, but yeah then we uh, we sort of fell in love with the Cape Sound and um, yeah thought okay yeah going to Going to LA would be would be sweet, but it was also very much because that uh, uh, we got in contact with him, and it was sort of like it was still uh, a little bit of a critical time in the uh, during the pandemic. So not everyone was working and uh, recording stuff. Uh, so uh, we talked with a lot of producers at the time, and. Uh, all of them said, oh, yeah, I haven't really done anything in, uh, in a while and uh, my studio is not set up. And, and we were like, okay, well, do you want to set up a studio and record us? Uh, and, um, yeah, some would and some wouldn't. And uh, yeah. that also played a factor in how we ended the game. And also um, our drummer, he lives in L.A. Oh, yeah. yeah that um, that was a, a big help. Uh, and my parents are so close, so it was a free lodging. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, that helps too. Definitely. <laughs> it's it's interesting that the pandemic weighs, like you're saying, onto the recording process and it influenced the decisions that you took with that because it's very much something that's there in the record too. And I know that you've spoken before about how it was a soothing response almost to the pandemic and a sort of emotional stress that that inflicted on everyone. Did you begin consciously writing it with that intention in mind, or at what point did that reveal itself to you during the process that that's what you were doing with it? Um, I don't think we began writing it with that in mind, um, even though it just was kind of what we were doing. Because, I mean, we wrote pretty much all of this album 
um, like as soon as the pandemic hit. Like we landed in the U.S. Uh, like the day that all the borders were closed. Um, like when we got off the plane, we we're like, oh, Trump just closed the borders. Yeah. Um, I guess we're stuck here. People were like, "Calling uh, Christian, you should hurry back. Uh, things are about to really go down and get really ugly." And I just couldn't really see how, but I think uh, that's because we were out in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> yeah. um, just at my parents' house. And I mean, we were just—it it, was—it um, was like a pretty formative time for all of mm. us. I think we just spent the entire day doing nothing but uh, making music, and yeah. um, and most of the night too. Yeah. And uh, so it was just like this really unique thing where it felt like the world was ending and we just had nothing to do but create something yeah i feel like the pandemic very much did write the album um because we had all these plans we we're gonna go to south by southwest and uh play that and that was gonna be sort of like a dense schedule but then suddenly you know everything was off and we didn't know what to do so we just started jamming and recording everything we did and um yeah uh shortly after um we had all the songs and mm-hmm. we thought okay well we should we should probably uh yeah make an album with this yeah but um lyrically i definitely decided to make it calming um because everything just felt so stressful and um, a lot of the songs were created just instrumentally first um, and then I would kind of sit and try to put some melodies and lines over it. And uh, yeah, I do remember during like that barn time, I just, I was so tired of feeling scared and uh, and afraid of the future. And so I was just trying to make everything a little less scary, a little more comforting through the lyrics. How did the pandemic and, you know, all the lockdowns and stuff that happened, how did they change your approach to life in general, like even outside of music, that whole experience for you? I feel like it changed it in every way, almost. I mean, just the approach to making music now is so different. <laughs> I think I said this before in another interview, and, and I'm not sure how it comes off. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, you know, in Finding Nemo, <laughs> when the turtle <laughs> jumps into the, the like undercurrent and rides it, I, I feel like during the, the pandemic, I like I finally got that ability to like jump into the current of music that the band is playing. You know, getting on that same wavelength. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like that um, the way we uh, yeah the day we, uh, that the way we wrote music very much changed because. Uh, we used to very much come up with parts separately and then uh, use them together. But uh, when we were jamming in the barn, we would jam for like, many hours, like, sometimes like, five to six hours. And uh, doing it for so long, uh, we got into this uh, uh, sort of like meditative, meditative state. Uh, uh, where um, where we would finish a jam that had lasted for God knows how long, 15, 20, 30 minutes. And uh, and afterwards, not really knowing what we had played because we've been sort of 
almost gone. Uh, yeah. And uh, listening back to that would uh, will be kind of surprising. Oh, is that because we almost feel like it didn't really sound like us because uh, everything was uh, improvised. Uh, no, like we never agreed on any chords or anything. And, and that gave, uh, and then after that, we were sort of able to tap into that a lot easier. So uh, that's how we wrote the next songs. Um, and also, um, so, but that's just musically. Um, yeah, but also yeah, just in life, the pandemic has also made us like, you have to kind of choose to to have joy in your life almost i think before that i was always really kind of hustling which is also important and we still do <laughs> but um making sure to take moments and like protect yourself uh, mentally from uh, all the scary things in the world mm. and uh just make sure you're also giving yourself good thoughts and good things yeah in many ways, it was super liberating uh, having having everything cancelled, everything that you thought you were supposed to do for like pretty much a year was suddenly cancelled. So you <laughs> have to be okay with it. Yeah, okay. so you had all this time to sort of like work on work on what you you want. Then obviously, like you know, still. Uh, like find a find a new way of doing things, find a new way to work, and that that was uh, I think super good for creativity. And you can also see in the way that by the time we did we finished the album and we're ready to release, uh, we definitely weren't the only ones. Uh, <laughs> there were other musicians out there, not surprisingly, who's also had like a creative. I've been writing a creative wave and recorded an album like it, like Taylor Swift even like recorded, isn't it her third uh, pandemic album? Who knows? Uh, tons of albums. Um, so that has been uh, it's been really nice for also as a music fan to to hear um, all this like all your favorite artists coming out with uh, the albums because. You know, they haven't been busy touring and uh, all that stuff. I guess it also makes it uh, makes it a little harder to stand out in the you know in the midst of all these uh, all these great artists out there. But uh, yeah, you know, it's a it's it's definitely a good thing overall. You open the album with the lines, "I don't need to play a part. I forget I can be exactly who I want." Were, was that a revelation that came for you at the beginning of the pandemic with what you, we've just been talking about? Or at what point did that sort of arrive for you, that idea and that thought? Um, yeah, that was that was something written in the barn. And yeah, and it was a really um, monumental revelation, uh, which, I mean, it seems like the easiest thing ever, but it, it is so easy to forget that, uh, that it's like completely your own choice to be exactly who you want all the time. Um, but I think I was definitely um, guilty of kind of trying to to play the part that I thought I needed to be. And uh, I'm, I mean, I still do that. I think everyone does. But it's a really, I love singing that song. It's such a nice reminder. 
it's almost like we sort of construct these parts. It's all, a lot of it's in our own head, isn't it? We construct these parts for ourselves and we kind of project it onto other people and that's what they expect of us when really it's all kind of just going on up there. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, we all uh, think that someone else needs us to be something when they, they don't really. No. Is that almost enhanced in some respects by being in a band too? Like when literally, you know, when you go on stage, there is an element of playing a part and kind of playing a heightened version of yourself to a certain extent. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, to be able to go up and and be this vulnerable but still very present and uh, connected performer, um, and that's also something that's pretty new um, to us. I mean, we had our our first like real tour um, in October last year. That was the first time we played like shows night after night after night. And it is a different thing than just going out and playing like one show that you've been prepping for for months. Um, and I think it is definitely, it's something that you need to learn how to like perform and still be yourself. Mm. And, uh, and I think that just takes time. Yeah. And uh, it, it is very much, as you say, it is like, you play a part that you wrote at a certain point in your life or a song that was just about a certain feeling that you that you had at time in life. Um, so you kind of box yourself in that uh, uh, in that little time period and sometimes that feeling lasts and sometimes I guess it won't, uh, which is why like you know when sometimes when you go to see some of your favorite bands are like, oh, they didn't play whatever song you, know, you wanted to. <laughs> um, but because uh, I can't imagine that, you know, you, uh, you, you, you could feel estranged to uh, some of your own music. That, uh, that first song that we started, we started that tangent off with, I know that it was also inspired by Trainspotting's Carpet Scene. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> that's true. I love that scene. I um, I dream of trying to recreate it in a music video. Um, but wait, wait, scene. Falling. Oh, when uh, when he's tripping and then the carpet gets pulled out and then all the walls move. Back. Oh yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. Um. Um. Yeah, I would really love to redo that without the like creepy crawling baby on the ceiling, of course. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Everyone loves uh, uh, like a good one shot of uh, good uh, uh, good scenery. Yeah, that's a really cool <laughs> movie. And that one, that movie is very visually uh, inspiring. Yeah, for sure, it is so great. Yeah, every time we watch that, I always think we're gonna make a really cool music video. We're gonna do it completely by ourselves. <laughs> and then when you actually go over the reality of like creating those moments, I just don't know how to do it. God, that uh, <laughs> also looks it's like, almost like it took a big production team yeah, yeah. i wonder if it was expensive hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah uh, but then uh, you know then we did up making some sort of version of it in uh, uh in falling on a very different level and a very different vibe i think that uh, the biggest premise of the falling video was just we're gonna have just instead of like of a long one shot, we're gonna have the whole thing being a one shot. So there's no cuts, and uh, throughout the whole video, which uh, which was a nice little challenge to do, 
but yeah, I, I felt like it uh, accentuates the feeling of uh, of falling, and it sort of like pulls you in to the music video a little bit, uh, as well as just being a, yeah, a weird little mind-bending effect. Yeah. I love the fact too that you begin the album with falling and this idea of falling down, but then you end it with cloud watching and the idea of looking up and they're very much the antithesis of each other and kind of it, it feels cyclical in that way too. For you, what did you see the connection between those two songs being and what did you see the roles that they play and, and how they compare in the record as a whole? I think it, like, falling, um, it is kind of like pulling you into the album. Like, I think you, ideally, whoever is listening to the album would just, you know, laid back with some nice lighting or uh, uh, or or the stars and just like be mentally pulled in to uh, stamp in time of what we've created and then um, but by the end of the album if someone was to just listen all the way through um, they would uh, they would feel maybe uplifted or ready to kind of take on the day or whatever situation yeah that's true uh, I, I feel like uh, falling uh, has a little bit of a more like hypnotic vibe to it as well uh, so it's sort of like lace the mood for listening to the album where maybe comp watching this uh, at the end of the meditation where they're saying like uh, Feel your feet then start moving your fingers. Because uh, <laughs> you're on your way out. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Bringing you back into your body at the end. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's a nice way to look at it. Do you remember... I love the idea that you were mentioning at the start of that of you know, someone sitting down and kind of just falling into the album, whether it be underneath nice lighting or the stars. Do you remember the first time that you heard the album from start to finish, once it had been fully mixed and mastered? I, I, I don't remember um, yeah, I, I'm sure we did do that though. Yeah, <laughs> Probably, uh, yeah. We have this really awesome starlight that I always uh, it's like a projector that puts stars everywhere, and I bring it to every recording session we ever do because it's a real, real mood maker. And sure. We probably put that on, use some really good speakers, and uh, kind of yeah, just fell into it like we hope people do. Yeah, but it's hard when you're in the process of making it. Because um, it's like, it's your work. So you listen to it every stage of the way, often fragmented. Uh, so maybe we heard the song like 50, 100 times before the songs were like mixed and mastered. I do remember times of where then you got to sort of distance yourself for like a week or something and then try to listen to it again, trying to prepare yourself trying to listen to it unprepared um, and listen to it in different moods because it's always something, it's not always something different you get out of it, but it's often something different uh, you get out of it when you listen to it. But it's hard sometimes listening uh, to your own music because um, <laughs> you're so biased. And at that point, by the time it's done, you've listened to it over a hundred times. So uh, it it gets a different different vibe to you, and I guess it could be nice and like more meaning or like have a different meaning. But I'm sure it will mean something different to pretty much everyone else who listens to it. 
where did you surprise yourself on this album most? When you look back at what you've created and and you think back on the process, where did you surprise each other most? That's a good question. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I think Vacation was the biggest surprise. Was uh, sort of like a slower, uh, more like key-spaced ballad. Still very much key-spaced, but um, yeah, it was like fairly slow and a little somber, I suppose. Um, but um, yeah, working with Gabe, it was like, I think it's very obvious that uh, it, uh, you know, the reference songs would be more like, have, have, remember he used like a Daft Punk song as a reference, I, okay, I never thought that, like, you know, in a million years, and uh, making it more upbeat was definitely a nice choice, and something that we have been uh, embracing a little more, uh, taking things that uh, were more somber, like, hey, what if we sort of make that upbeat? And, uh, so I think uh, uh, making the Kishner into a different mood than what it was, it's still somber, I suppose, but uh, that, uh, that was sort of like an eye-opener, surprising to me. How about you? <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I was... I was just so prepared for so much of it that not a lot of it has surprised me because, um, you know, we just had so much time to plan it all out. It's funny that you bring up vacation because that's one of my favorite lines in the album where you say vacation is all I need so I can go back home again. Where do you feel most at home in the world at the moment? Maybe Denmark? Yeah. I mean, it's it's really tough. Or, or maybe Brighton, um, Brighton, UK. That was, uh, even though that's not our home anymore, it really, it felt like artistically, like the right place for us. I do miss Brighton too. Yeah. Uh, and going back there and uh, and playing there in October after not having lived there for three years was, uh, was strange because when we were there, it, you know, I kind of just wanted to go back to our house. Yeah. Um, where we haven't lived for years, um, but um, but yeah, it still very much felt like home. But you know, as cliche as it sounds, you know, home is where the heart is. So it, um, I feel like we're good at uh, at uh, you know creating new homes. Yeah, and I and I feel like we have multiple homes. Yeah, um, Denmark is definitely. One of them also because I'm from there. I got friends and family, and uh, but going to the U.S. also feels like home. So, so yeah. <laughs> so Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.